Thank you for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Premier Doug Ford is set to unveil what he is calling an aggressive housing plan. New documents show Prime Minister Trudeau received dozens of threats during the 2019 election. Celebrities are speaking out against the reversal of Roe v. Wade, but will it have any impact? A dramatic overtime victory has propelled the Bulldogs to the Memorial Cup final. The WWE is celebrating 70 years, and Ontario businesses are feeling the pinch. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We know that housing prices in this city have skyrocketed during the pandemic. They're coming down a little bit, at least compared to last year. But over the last 10 years, house prices overall have tripled. And now Premier Doug Ford says he's going to introduce an aggressive housing plan moving forward. The question is, what is this aggressive housing plan going to look like? Conrad Zarini is a broker of record for Remax Escarpment Realty and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Conrad, welcome back to the show. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Rick. I'm great. Early this morning. How can you be? Yeah. <laughs> the sun's going to be shining in an hour or two. Actually, it's, it's um, you know, sunrise is already it's up. there so, now. Yeah. So, mm-hmm, it's, so yeah. we're feeling good in this city. So this mm-hmm. aggressive uh, housing plan moving forward, what could it possibly look like? What are you thinking? Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I, there's been some tidbits out there about uh, releasing some of the lands, Ontario properties owned by the Ontario government. You know, they back about uh, 10 years ago, they froze some lands uh, up on the Stony Creek Mountain, uh, some several hundred hectares for the Kars, uh, which is that cave system. So I'm wondering, are they going to start to uh, look at lands like that? Some of the those lands that were put aside for uh, tourism and things like that. Um, land prices are only a, a small percentage of, of construction. I'm, I'm in the midst of building a, a purpose-built apartment We've seen the uh, construction costs rise about 17% in the last 90 days. You know, we've got uh, issues with trades. Uh, the, you know, land is one part of it. Uh, construction costs, I think we have to be a little bit more innovative with construction. Um, like a lot of people from CMHC said, it's all hands on deck. It is a supply issue, but I, I, I don't think uh, how aggressive can they be unless they're going to start to pre-zone high density so you can alle- alleviate that nimbyism in some areas. Uh, Hamilton, we've got our issues. Everything seems to be downtown, and and we lost uh, density in, er- in areas like Ancaster. Where how can a, how can somebody age in community in Ancaster where everything is low rise? There, uh, it's been protected for a long time. I, I, he, he's got to really turn the whole planning act upside down. Yeah, Ford says he wants to focus on finding lands that includes vacant and surplus government property to build these homes. Is there a lot of those types of property in Hamilton? Do we have a a lot of vacant government surplus? No, like I said, we have some lands up on the Stony Creek Mountain. uh, But other than that, there's there's not much uh, else available. And again, it was protected for the cars. that cave system. It's funny. They were developing that those lands for years. I, I, I remember somebody using a stormwater retention pond, one of the caves. They used it for, they lined it and they put a stormwater retention pond about probably 25 years ago. It wasn't something that anybody paid any attention to. It was more of a nuisance than anything else. But it's they're going to have to look at some of these lands that are protected. Are they going to look at some green, green belt pieces? 
they have nothing along corridors unless you're talking about the lands that Metrolink bought uh, in Hamilton along, you know, the, the future LRT. That, that's a possibility of, of what they might do with, with, with certain things. But other than that, they're, 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 they're not, they're not there at all. And um, like I said, land, and are they going to lease the land? Are they going to sell the land? Are they going to lease the ba- land back to developers to, to alleviate that cost? I would say land costs are somewhere in the vicinity of any project right now, it's 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 in the vicinity of ten percent. I don't think we're going to see ten to fifteen percent. I don't think you're going to see anything um, substantially different in terms of, of saving savings here. It's just not going to. It's not enough. I think it's a drop in the bucket. We're talking about uh, Doug Ford's wish to introduce an aggressive housing plan moving forward with Conrad Zarini, broker of record, Remax Escarpment Realty. Uh, you're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, you mentioned the trades. It, it's nice to have a plan to say, hey, we want to build you know one and a half million homes over the next 10 years, which is what Ford's election promise was. And all the other uh, political parties basically had the same numbers. Uh, do we have enough people to build these homes? It's, it's amazing. We don't. I think uh, number one issue right now is trades. And, and I, you know, anecdotally, uh, I've heard that in Toronto right now, there's about 5,000, maybe 5,000 to 10,000 units that might not be built. And then part of the problem is, yeah, construction costs have, have increased, but there's not the trades to do to do the work. I think there's got to be some more of a comprehensive program getting uh, these young kids because trades, you know, I guess, when I, when I was back in school a long time ago, you know, there were, you know, and I, I guess they had a bad rap was trade schools. I think we have to start to look at that a little bit more and, and understand um, where we could take some of these young kids and, and get them into a trade and show them that a trade is, is, is honorable work. And right now, uh, there's a lot of price gouging uh, because of trades. A lot of projects are being held back. So unless you, it's like that whole, the, the old adage, you know, and a, a a Rolls-Royce engine and a Volkswagen, we, we, we've got issues all the way down the, the whole continuum in terms of uh, materials. Now, materials eventually may come down in price, but, that, I, you know, again, that's, that's, a, that's a factor of so many other things. The, the, the amount of people to, to actually do the work is, is, is staggering, and it's, it's, it's something that is, is, is bothersome. Um, out there. The other thing is that, you know, and, and I talked lightly about it, I think that density is a, is a huge issue with NIMBYism and, and how are we going to um, get our heads around that as well, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk as well about um, streamlining the approval process. So a developer has a plan, they go to City Hall to say, hey, I want to build X amount of homes in this place, and then it takes years and years to actually, you know, put shovel into the ground. Are, are we seeing some movement on that front? No, we're not. And it's funny because the federal government came up with some plan. It was 40000 a unit they were going to give to the municipalities to, to show that they're innovative and, and, and move things along. Um, no, we've not seen anything. Personally, I can tell you, I, I, I've been a big uh, proponent of affordable housing in, in Hamilton, chaired the affordable housing flagship for about 10 years. I started in 2015 uh, a, a site that was a surplus site adjacent to one of my offices. We started in 2015 and uh, we had a plan to to build a public and private partnership, we have 20% affordable units. So it's a 219 unit building with 46 affordable units. We started in 2015 and, and we were beaten up and beaten up uh, for years, had to go to what was called the OMB and now it's um, the Ontario Land Tribunal. Uh, we won in, in mediation because it was the right thing to do. And, and I'll tell you something, the city was saying, well, look, maybe reduce your density, maybe pull out your, your affordable component. And I'm thinking, 
why would we do that? Well, then, then you might fit in with the criteria and densities and, and you'll make the, these four or five neighbors that were against us happy. Uh, I, I've seen no movement at all. Uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, there's a freeze on, on urban sprawl. And, and, and I, I run hot and cold on that as well. But I, I think there's areas where we can do some greater uh, density uh, around transportation. Uh, we fought long and hard at Centennial to get some sort of a plan and now Centennial is uh, in Hamilton has um, you know some a plan for density, but it's going to take time because there's owners of plazas that are not ready to turn things over. Um, you heard that big announcement about Eastgate; uh, they're going to redevelop Eastgate, which I think is uh, fantastic um, with a combination of retail and and, and high rise. But other than that, uh, there's been no movement um, to do density in areas like. Like I said, Ancaster before, um, even Bimbrook to some degree. Um, you know, it's just uh, everything seems to be focused downtown density, which is not the right thing to do. I think we want to we want to have mixed development all over the city. I agree. Eager to hear what uh, the premier has to say in terms of the nitty gritty and the finer details of this aggressive housing plan. Conrad, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and have a great day. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Have a great day. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Being a politician is, it's a pretty hard gig. I mean, you're basically on call 24-7. At some points, it probably feels like a thankless job. You're trying to do your best. Things just don't work out sometimes, whether that's at the municipal, provincial, or the federal level. Which brings us to this story. New documents from the RCMP show that the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, during the 2019 federal election, so two elections ago, received nearly 60 threats, 59 to be exact. Is that going to force some would-be politicians on the sideline? We know the politics are more divisive than ever. Is there a is there a prime minister in waiting who's, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years of age thinking, I don't want to do that for a living? Michael Tobe is a columnist with Troy Media and Looney Politics, a contributor to the National Post and Washington Times, and a speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and joins us now on GMH. Michael, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Rick. How are you doing? Not too bad. First thing that came to my mind was uh, you know, nearly 60 threats mm-hmm. against Trudeau during the 2019 federal election. How many threats would Harper have gotten back in the day? Oh, there were quite a few. I mean, obviously, most of them were unfounded, much the same way that it is for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You may remember that, you know, there was this individual who was wandering around who had committed some pretty heinous acts and sex crimes who had threatened a whole bunch of people as well. We also remember what happened, you know, the hold up in Parliament Hill, you know, in the, at the, around the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and that gentleman who ran through the House of Commons threatening to go after everyone, including the Prime Minister, all these things add up. So there were certainly a few. And we know through history that there have been politicians who have either been, you know, accosted, attacked or whatnot. Joe Clark was a famous example of it many years ago. And unfortunately, you know, as awful as it is, and no one is defending it, you know, I do not agree with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government. I've been a huge critic of them since the very day they were elected. Nevertheless, when you see numbers like this, it obviously does concern you, and it makes you worry that things like this are still happening. And yes, some of the threats, you know, is just simply someone threatened to throw an egg at, at his face, which obviously wouldn't cause any bodily harm, but it's the problem that we're seeing society move in this direction. Not unique to Canada. 
Other countries around the world, including our neighbors to the south, the United States, struggle from it. But to your opening, would this discourage a young person, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, from entering politics? In some cases, I think you're probably right, Rick. But in others, I think most people now realize, including young people, that it's part of the nature of the game. and You have to handle it the best you want, especially if you want to be involved and participate in public service. Whether it's the online world, uh, whether it's protesters uh, out in front of uh, politicians' homes, which we've seen with uh, the the Premier, the Mayor of Toronto, the Mayor of Hamilton had to undergo that. Why has it become so personal? Well, we've seen it a lot in the United States, too. I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal on that. And unfortunately, in Europe, Asia, and elsewhere, it's becoming quite common, too. Um, Unfortunately, you know, obviously, we can't psychoanalyze the entire you know, our entire population, but it's just regrettably what has happened in society. We're seeing a lot of, well, rigid thinking and rigid ideas in many ways. Certainly partisans like myself have contributed to it. I'm not denying that. But we have never obviously called for physical violence. The problem is that we're just living in a very, a period of time which has been very frustrating for a lot of people. Even before COVID-19, we saw many of the, you know, a lot of this bubbling on the surface. There were sort of aggressive comments and statements that were being made back in the 70s and 80s. We remember, you know, there's obviously been assassinations of U.S. presidents and attacks on them. We've been fairly isolated in Canada, although unfortunately with the last couple of prime ministers, Harper and Trudeau, we're now seeing that Canadians are getting more frustrated. The whole thing is, unfortunately, it's sort of a a small breakdown of society and a real breakdown of intellectual discourse or the ability to agree to disagree on ideas. You can be thoroughly against what Justin Trudeau stands for, which I am and many others are. But at the same time, to even think of physical violence or even to try to come close to a politician, whether it's Trudeau or just a cabinet minister, a backbench backbench MP, you should not be invading their personal space, their private space. You want to address something with them, you have a criticism of them, that's fine. If you're in public and you see them, Speak to them nicely. Come up to them nicely. Make your point known. You don't have to get physical. You don't have to get irritated. And that really in itself is the way a democracy is supposed to operate. Again, the ability to agree to disagree. And the fact that things like this are happening, and sure, Justin Trudeau has obviously opened up a lot of cans of worms and he's left himself open to people who are frustrated with him doing something different going that additional step is unacceptable and should be unacceptable from anyone no matter which leader it is and no matter which part of the political spectrum they stand on yeah it has as you just mentioned uh, crosses all party lines jagmeet singh was uh, you know uh, yeah. the, the victim of a verbal assault and a vicious sure. one at that several weeks ago so uh, right. i'm not sure the clock is going to be turned back and uh, and embarrassingly so for those that are involved in that kind of vitriol physically or otherwise michael we'll have to leave it there we're plumb out of time Appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the day. My pleasure. You too. That's Michael Tobe, columnist with Troy Media and Looney Politics, contributor to the National Post, the Washington Times, and a former speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Days after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, the landmark decision back in 1973 that granted women the right to an abortion in every state, protests continue across America. The court's decision, as we know, gives individual states the power once again to decide whether or not to allow an abortion. And nearly half the country, we understand, will implement a ban in the coming months. Now, many celebrities also speaking out against this decision. 
from Taylor Swift to Olivia Rodrigo, Billie Eilish, John Legend, even Danny DeVito, all infuriated with the U.S. Supreme Court's decision. But what impact, if any, is their voice going to have? Let's bring in our next guest. Michelle Butterfield is a senior national online journalist for Trending News at globalnews.ca and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Michelle, how are you? Good, how are you today? I'm good. One of the uh, latest stories that you have filed on globalnews.ca, you wrote about a former TV star who was violently shoved by police in Los Angeles during a protest on Sunday. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so we might remember Jody Sweeten. She played Stephanie Tanner on Full House during the 90s, um, right around my age, actually. She's just 40 now. So she was out protesting in the streets downtown Los Angeles. Um, according to reports, she was actually trying to lead protesters off of a highway. So she was kind of going slightly up an embankment. And in the video, um, you can see two police officers, not just one, but two police police officers violently push her to her knees, knocks her baseball cap off. Um, she quickly recovered. Luckily, she was okay. But yeah, with the help of protesters. Um, yeah, so just just kind of shocking. The video is actually quite disturbing to watch. Yeah, and the video is on our website at globalnews.ca. You can check it out uh, in the trending news and entertainment sections. I understand that the LAPD is investigating their response? Yeah, so they just kind of put out a blanket statement saying that they're going to look into it. They're saying that they support everyone's First Amendment rights to protest peacefully. Um, But other video has also appeared showing them, you know, hitting people with batons, violently pushing people. It doesn't look like their actions are necessarily peaceful at all. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Michelle Butterfield, Senior National Online Journalist in the Trending News section for globalnews.ca. As I mentioned, uh, countless celebrities are reacting angrily to the court's decision and to no one's surprise. Has any one of them caused you to stop and say, whoa, this celebrity's making some serious noise? So one thing that I find really interesting, Rick, is there's been a few celebrities who have actually come and spoken out about their own abortions. So we have uh, musician Phoebe Bridgers talked about having an abortion last year while she was on tour. Uh, Paul Walker's daughter, Meadow Walker, um, was recounting her experience having an abortion in 2020. Cheryl Burke, one of the cont- or one of the dancers on Dancing with the Stars, also said that she had an abortion while she was 18. I think that's really significant. These people speaking out, you know, kind of ending the stigma and talking about their own experiences and how, you know, abortion, while a difficult decision to make, ultimately benefited them in the end. I think another really important thing that we're seeing a lot of as well, too, is men speaking up. You know, this this decision predominantly affects women or, you know, those who identify as female people with uteruses who are able to have have an abortion or have a pregnancy. But, you know, like you said, we're hearing from Danny DeVito. We're hearing from Jonathan Van Ness. We're hearing from John Legend. Lots of men, lots of celebrity men, actors, musicians are speaking out on this. And I think that's really fantastic. Another one too, Billy Joe Armstrong uh, from Green Day, who's decided to renounce his U.S. citizenship. I mean, this is getting serious. It totally is. So he was on the Hella Mega tour with various other acts, Weezer, a couple others. Uh, in the U.K., he got up on stage and, you know, dropped a lot of F-bombs. 
not appropriate for radio whatsoever but he basically said you know f this i'm leaving uk get ready to see me a lot more because i'm coming overseas we've seen you know a lot of that reaction as well too not so much from the celebrities but like a lot of americans saying how can i come to canada how can i get out of this how can i get out of this um country get me out i'm out one more minute with uh, Michelle Butterfield, senior national online journalist in the trending news section for globalnews.ca. You can check out uh, her work online at globalnews.ca. Uh, celebrities or influencers clearly carry some weight amongst the public, but will their voice have any impact in this debate, do you think? That's a really good question and one that's really hard to quantify. Um, you know, it's law. It is what it is. Um, but I think the impact that they can have is by speaking out, being really vocal, being really passionate and angry about this, they they set a precedent for other people. So as long as they continue to really speak out, to protest, to hit the streets, you know, to be doing the grassroots work, I think that it really encourages other people to follow suit. Um, you know, so I hope I hope that we get to see a lot more of that. And, um, you know, I, I hope it doesn't quiet down. I hope this isn't just like a, a hot topic issue and then it's out of the media in a couple of days. You know, I, th I think that they have the power with their voice. I don't know, necessarily know if they have the power to overturn anything legally, but I do think that they have the power to really influence other people, um, fans, followers, admirers to, you know, keep up the fight. And that influence might uh, one day translate to the ballot box somewhere, whether it's midterm elections or presidential elections or whatever the case is. And that change can indeed uh, happen once again. Michelle, appreciate your time today. Thanks for chiming in on this important topic. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's Michelle Butterfield, Senior National Online Journalist, trending news at globalnews.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Oh, what a night it was last night in St. John, New Brunswick. Bulldogs, cataract from Shawinigan in the Memorial Cup semifinal, and it went all the way to overtime. Second OT game of the Memorial Cup. Uh, St. John and Edmonton with the other one in the round robin, which Edmonton won 4-3. to three. Last night, same score, only Hamilton came out on top. What a dramatic ending to that game. Reed Duthie is the play-by-play -play announcer with the Hamilton Bulldogs and joins us now from St. John. Reed, good morning. How are you? Oh, Rick, I'm not sure how many more of these my heart can take after <laughs> last night. That was, uh, that was a heck of a sprint to the finish. That was... You know, top to bottom, beginning to end, probably the best game of the tournament. I think you're exactly right. Watching that game go back and forth and back and forth and the momentum swinging wildly in both Cologne and Costantini making tremendous saves. You got everything that you wanted out of that hockey game. And then Jan Mishak, three years to the day he was drafted by the Bulldogs, scores in overtime. That's pretty insane. And that was... You know, neither team really had a a two goal lead at any point. It was you know one nothing, one one, two one, two two, three two, three three, four three. It was a closely contested contest. What was at the end of the day the difference that led the Bulldogs to victory? I think it was just perseverance, Rick. In this one, they had a couple of calls that didn't go their way. A potential high stick on Olivier Nadeau's goal at one point that tied the game at two, and then Avery Hayes. Put the Bulldogs in the lead. The puck never stopped moving, and Coloma actually knocked it back into his own net with his pad, and they ruled it no goal, that they had blown the whistle. And uh, 
that's it wasn't exactly the right call, but the Bulldogs were able to keep their heads about them, even falling down three too late. Logan Morrison scores, and they just weren't going to be denied on this one. They just kept going through the adversity, and Barco Costantini's got the best save percentage in the tournament. Uh, stop me if you've heard that before. <laughs> he has just been incredible for this team. Yeah, he's, he made some unbelievable saves in that game. I was thinking when Hayes' goal was called off, which was just a bad call top to bottom, and then uh, Shawinigan takes the lead a couple of minutes later. I thought, oh, this isn't the Bulldogs' night, but they made it their night because their best players played perhaps their best game. Mason McTavish scored, Logan Morrison scored, Meshack finds the net in overtime. You mentioned Costantini. Steos was a workhorse. Uh, Arbor Jackeye was probably the you know one of the best players on the ice. Their best guys played their best. Not only that, Rick, you're exactly right, but getting Lawson Shirk back last night was massive because it, it created another dangerous line for the Bulldogs. Lawson Shirk spent some time with Mark Duart and Jan Meshack on sort of a a makeshift, I don't know if you can really call that a third line, but they, that was the order they went over the boards. And they were throwing the body. They were puck possession in deep. The cycle was on. They were torturing the Shawinigan defense when they were on. That's why it was so great to see Jan get rewarded going to the net at the end of the game because they were a tremendous line last night. I thought Jan Mishak might have been the best player on the ice. And getting Austin Shirk back really helped them it gets guys more rest. You lengthen that bench out a bit. Just everything came together there. You have another minute with Reed Duffy, play-by-play announcer with the Hamilton Bulldogs as we reflect on last night's thrilling overtime win by the Dogs over Shawinigan 4-3 that propels them into the Memorial Cup final tomorrow night at St. John against the Sea Dogs. It seems quite fitting that Bulldogs Sea Dogs kicked off the tournament with St. John winning 5-3, and now they'll end it tomorrow night. What does your gut tell you? I think it's going to be a lot different than that opening game, Rick. The, the Sea Dogs jumped on the Bulldogs. They'd been waiting for this tournament to start. It was over 40 days since the St. John Sea Dogs had to sit and wait for this. They have a, they don't have that opportunity this time. They got a little bit more rest, having propelled themselves right to the final. But I don't think the legs are going to be as much of a difference this time. I think this is going to be a really close game, right out of the gates. And if Marco Costantini continues to play the way he has. He's been the best goaltender in the tournament. That's a great starting point for the Bulldogs. Don't let William Dufour beat you like he did to the Shawinigan Cataract. Stay out of the penalty box like they did last night. And, Rick, they got a really good chance to lift that Memorial Cup. Well, we can be talking Thursday morning about the Hamilton Bulldogs Memorial Cup champions. What a thrill that would be. Reed, have a great call tomorrow night. We'll talk to you down the road. Rick, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And one more to go on this wild ride. Reed Duffy, play-by-play announcer the Hamilton Bulldogs. It is the Bulldogs and the Sea Dogs Wednesday night in St. John. The winner hoists the Memorial Cup. And it'll probably be a tight one. All eight games in the tournament have been decided by one or two goals. So expect another nail-biter tomorrow. Although it would be nice if the Dogs won, I don't know, 5-1 or something like that. I'm talking about the Bulldogs, not the Sea Dogs. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The WWE. Yeah, World Wrestling Entertainment, formerly the WWF, celebrating its 70th anniversary. I didn't, I didn't know it was that old. I knew it's been around for decades. I was a huge wrestling fan growing up in the 
early to mid to late 80s, basically the 80s, uh, a wrestling fanatic. You know, with the likes of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Jake the Snake, all these iconic wrestling figures. And many more are still in the squared circle today. How has pro wrestling, and in particular the WWE, impacted and influenced aspiring wrestlers? Even those who are here in Hamilton. And we have some Hamilton wrestling royalty. That is for sure. We'll get into it with our next guest, David Savelli, a.k.a. Rip Impacts, is the owner of Hamilton Pro Wrestling and a trainer at the Hamilton Pro Wrestling Academy. David, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. How'd you get into the wrestling business? Well, I think much like most of us, um, I started watching in the late 80s, 90s. You know what I mean? Uh, The era, the golden era in the 80s and then the attitude era in the 90s. Uh, wrestling goes through phases. I got in that point, and then when I was a teenager, I dove in head first. Um, you know, and from there, I found a wrestling school, started training, and just from there, everything spiraled, and it's consumed me for the last twenty years of my life. Uh, it's it's what I know, it's what I do, it's what I love. What was that conversation like with your parents or friends when you said, "You know what? I want to be a pro wrestler when I grow up." <laughs> Uh, honestly, everyone was pretty supportive. I think, uh, at the start, uh, like a lot of people, a lot of people think it was just a phase, you know, maybe I'll try out for a year or two years, or I'll go through even for a couple of years. Uh, I don't think, uh, many would predict that I'd be sticking with it 20 years later. Um, you know, I've been doing it, uh, just for 20 years now, I've got to travel across Canada, United States, Mexico, and it's my, uh, not only is it my passion, but it's my full-time career. So uh, it's great that I've had uh, a lot of people supporting me throughout the years. How do you even get started as a pro wrestler, or, or I guess you would be an amateur wrestler to start? How does the process start? So I started just because I heard about it when I was in high school, Um I heard about a local wrestling show. Uh, most cities around here, Ontario especially, we have a very uh, active, thriving local wrestling scene. So just independent wrestling shows. Uh, they take place at you know banquet halls, small arenas, um, and different places like that. So you go up to a wrestling show. From there, you hopefully find out there's a wrestling school in the area. You know, within the area here, we have a couple, specifically here in Hamilton. We have my wrestling school, the Hamilton Pro Wrestling Academy. And, uh, yeah, just like anything, just like when you start minor league hockey, you know, you get your reps in, you train. Same thing with wrestling, same thing with baseball or any sport. Or It's very similar to the music scene. If you're coming up through the music scene, you're in a band, uh, traveling the road. It's very similar path for pro wrestling. David Savelli is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. David is the owner of Hamilton Pro Wrestling and a trainer at the Hamilton Pro Wrestling Academy. What type of people are you seeing come out to attempt to become the next pro wrestling superstar? That's a great question. Uh, Honestly, it varies. Um, Most of our people coming into training with us are, you know, early, mid-20s. You know what I mean? We have... A lot of a lot of people in their early mid twenties, but I got some guys that start with me as teenage years, and then even some that start with me in their thirties. And I've trained people in the, even in their forties and fifties. Uh, but the most demographic we have is between twenty and thirty-five. Uh, 
males, females. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're open to everyone. Uh, but most of my students over the last six years of my academy I've trained have been that age demographic between 20 and 30 uh, males and females. We've seen some uh, iconic wrestlers over the years. I mentioned a few of them, including the likes of Andre the Giant, who was, you know, a monolith of a human being. We've also seen um, individuals who are of much less stature. You know, the Dynamite Kid comes to mind, who really had zero muscle mass, but was entertaining. What makes a good pro wrestler? What qualities do you have to have? That's a good question. Yeah, I know, especially nowadays, the wrestling has shifted a little bit. It's not all about being a, a giant monster or a giant man like Andre the Giant, where um, in this day and age wrestling, the body has shifted to size. Uh, what it comes down to is in-ring skill and ability. And also, you know, I mean, we're doing professional wrestling. Um, and depending on what way you look at it, it's not only wrestling, it's also sports entertainment, especially with WWE. So um, having the ability in ring and that athleticism, but also having the ability to entertain, to be uh, an actor out there as well and, and uh, you know, connect with the fans, get them emotionally invested into what you're doing and tell a story. We're chatting about the impact of the WWE as it celebrates its 70th anniversary and the impact and influence it has on aspiring wrestlers. And our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is David Savelli, a.k.a. Rip Impact, the owner of Hamilton Pro Wrestling and a trainer at the Hamilton Pro Wrestling Academy. How'd you come up with your name? Honestly, um, I was just a teenager. I was in high school. You know, I was just getting started with this wrestling thing. I wasn't sure what name I needed to do, what I was coming up with, I was just kind of bouncing ideas off. I put the two the two names and the two words together. And I'm actually a little surprised it stuck with me all these years. But once I got it and, and, and it kind of caught on, people liked it, it just took off. And I've been able to use that name now, you know, across the scene, across the States, uh, even appearing on like television locally and internationally with it and uh, doing some traveling with them, wrestling for some of the major companies under that name. That's so it's just cool. kind of cool. just put two names together and uh, just with training students now, same thing. People kind of, I give them their own direction. They can kind of choose what they want and um, hopefully it works. If not, they revisit it later down the road. When it comes to uh, Hamilton's wrestling royalty, two names come to mind for me. Uh, Ethan Page, who's from Stony yeah. Creek, obviously is... Uh, you know, one of the uh, current active, I guess, probably most well-known Hamilton grapplers. The other to me, and that this goes back to my heyday, and he wasn't very good, but at least he was entertaining, and that was Iron Mike Sharp, the self-proclaimed greatest athlete in Canadian history. Does anyone else come to mind, or do you just want to reflect on those two guys? Of course. Um, I mean, speaking of the past, Iron Mike Sharp, he's a... Uh got a great reputation. He was one of the best uh, journeymen coming out of Hamilton, Ontario, one of the best uh, local wrestlers that were utilized on television and, and utilized with WWF to enhance and make the other wrestlers look great. Um, and then currently, uh, you know, I mean, Ethan Page is out there uh, wrestling on TV weekly. He came up uh, just a few years after me, trained alongside uh, the wrestling school I traveled, uh, I trained at, and, and he traveled with myself for a bit. Um and then other ones, like my personal trainer was the executioner, Ernie Moore. Um, he trained me. He worked for WWF way back in the day. There was the missing link, Dewey Robertson. There's a handful of like 
Hamilton wrestlers back from like the history heyday. And now there's a new generation of guys coming up that I think will be exciting and hopefully will leave their own legacy on the Hamilton wrestling scene and, and hopefully Ontario and Canada as far. And we can't wait to see the next uh, Hamilton grappling superstar. David, appreciate the time today. Best of luck with your career going forward. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time too. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. More than two years after the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Ontario businesses continue to be hit on all sides, right? For most businesses, business isn't back to normal, at least not on the revenue side. You know, those restrictions, those lockdowns have ended. The revenue, though, is not coming in like it was before the pandemic. And now many of these businesses are being hit by higher commercial rental rates. What can be done to combat this rising rent? And how many local businesses are impacted? Let's ask our next guest. Aaron Binder is the director of Better Way Alliance and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Aaron, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rick. There's been a lot of news about rising residential rental rates over the last little while. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised to hear that commercial rates are also jumping. Give us a lay of the land. What's happening out there? Well, it's uh, it's getting pretty nasty. Uh, you, you identified that residential rates are definitely going up. We're all seeing that. And the question we're asking a lot of uh, people now uh, to create awareness about commercial rates going up is, could you afford a 10 or 20 or 50% increase from one month to the next? We're seeing this across the GTA, across Ontario and across Canada. Uh, it's, uh, it's quickly becoming a national issue. So we've been talking to a number of businesses from across the country that are experiencing these jumps. And even just in, uh, in many neighborhoods across Hamilton, across Toronto and surrounding cities, uh, according to the Toronto Real Estate Board, we're seeing 10, 15% increases just as a normal course of practice since this time last year. And you identified it, businesses are still at 50, 60% revenue compared to their 2019 numbers. So that combined with this increase is creating a, a terrible storm for a lot of these business owners. What is the reasoning behind the hike in those commercial rates? There, there's a lot of reasons that we're hearing from landlords. Uh, some of them are just uh, experiencing higher costs on their mortgages. Uh, others don't have a good reason. Uh, and that's that's been the general feedback that we've been getting from a lot of business owners is that their landlords are now just seeing an opportunity to raise rent. Uh, they're seeing residential rates going up. So why not raise the commercial rent on their properties as well? Aaron Binder is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Aaron is the director of the Better Way Alliance, and we're talking about rising commercial rental rates in the province of Ontario, and we're certainly seeing that in places like Hamilton. Um, has the online world impacted rental rates? We're seeing perhaps fewer brick-and-mortar establishments, many businesses either being starting or, or moving to the online space. How's that impacted things? That, that is a good question uh, that not a lot of people ask. Well, Rick, uh, we're, we're seeing definitely more online competition from retailers and not just large retailers either. A lot of people point at Amazon when they, uh, when they think online, uh, but a lot of businesses, a lot, even my business, uh, we've gone predominantly online sales recently. We still have a brick and mortar store, but uh, 
as far as competition goes, um, generally you would expect if there's more supply of vacant properties that rents would either stay steady or go down. We are seeing the opposite. Rent uh, uh, rental occupation, uh, like for commercial properties, uh, in many areas has has stayed steady or fluctuated a little bit. Not enough to. Uh, dictate like a 10, 20, or 50% increase. So I don't know if it's really having that much of an effect, um, but it, it's, an, it's an interesting question to ask. Um, however, what we are seeing is just a, a lot of property owners are looking to either sell these days or they're looking to uh, turn over their property. A lot of new landlords are coming in and they may not understand that the fabric of a community is really dictated or uh, flourishes based on how well local retailers can operate. And we're, we're hearing a lot of stories from business owners that have been in the locations for 10, 20 years, and they're facing rent increases for no reason, but their lease is up. Uh, so it's, I don't know if it has a lot to do with online retail, aside from just, uh, uh, it, it probably has a little more to do with uh, the the great chaos that we're all going through right now. Uh, Better Way Alliance is calling on the government to uh, enact some new rules when it comes to the Commercial Tenancies Act. Before we get to that, I know you have mm-hmm. some suggestions on what the province should be doing. Uh, I got to ask, because I'm sure, you know, if I'm wondering it, my listeners are probably wondering this as well. What is the average or most common rental rate for, let's say, you know, your corner variety store or maybe a store in Lime Ridge Mall? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. what kind of dollar figures are we looking at here? It really depends on the neighborhood. Uh, You could be looking at anywhere from a thousand bucks to a two thousand bucks a month for a corner store. You could be looking at more than that in an area that naturally has more expensive real estate, commercial and residential. so it really depends on where you are in the city, where you are in the GTA. Um, uh, my business, for example, is downtown Toronto in a high tourist, uh, like a high traffic tourist zone. We pay quite a bit more than the corner store, literally 200 meters across a couple of streets does. So uh, it really depends where you are. All right. So what kind of uh, legislation or what kind of changes is the Better Way Alliance calling for? Yeah, well... Uh, one thing I, that I find kind of interesting, uh, first of all, is uh, we're actually seeing a lot more positive feedback to what we're proposing now than we would have five years ago. So we're, we're looking at uh, creating some legislative changes in Ontario, uh, primarily creating a commercial tenants board, which will help reduce the massive backlog in Inter- uh, Ontario's court systems. Uh, developing standardized leases so business owners can more easily understand the agreements that they're entering into. And this will actually help some newer landlords and more uh, and even longer term landlords uh, really understand the contracts that they're agreeing to enter with their tenants. And finally, rent reform. The Commercial Tenancies Act, it hasn't been updated since it was written in the early 1990s. So business operates different than it did 30 years ago. Uh, so we're looking at how do we, how do we uh, create more transparency? How do we look at potentially capping maximum, uh, adding caps for yearly increases on commercial rent? And a few other ideas there that may help keep rent increases more in line and more fair. 
Well, we're hoping you uh, continue to fight the good fight because I'm sure there's a lot of uh, mom and pop shop owners and regular business owners out there who are listening thinking, yeah, we need our, rent- our rental rates uh, as far as commercial properties to come on down. Aaron, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rick. That's Aaron Binder, the director of Better Way Alliance. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.